take your copy of God's Word if you haven't already and go ahead and go back to 1 Thessalonians. We find ourselves this time in the fourth chapter and we're just kind of going through this book passage by passage and I do need to let the, the parents of young children know that we're going to be mentioning some sensitive things today. They come right from the text. I'm going to preach the text. I'm going to preach what God says here. But I did want to catch you off guard uh, just so you know that it's coming because today's message is entitled Sanctification and Sex. So that's today's message. So I just want to give you that heads up right at the beginning. I think the best thing to do is just to read the passage and you'll have kind of an idea of where we're going to go, all right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then I'll give you some kind of general things that we see here. Then we're going to dive into those two areas particularly, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll begin reading at verse number 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, as we're reading this passage together, if you're using anything other than the King James Version, more than likely, you've noticed that the chapter begins with the word finally. It says, finally, then, brethren. Sam Gordon wrote, have you heard the latest definition of an optimist? An optimist is someone who believes the preacher is almost finished when he says finally. So that's the latest definition of an optimist. The idea here is not that Paul is wrapping up, that Paul is ending the book. What we have here is a transition time. If you're reading from the King James, you'll notice the word there is furthermore instead of finally. And that really captures the idea. You've got to remember we're reading an English translation of Greek here in the New Testament. And so when he says finally, the idea is we're transitioning. I've got some more things I want to say. Furthermore. He's not wrapping up things. He's moving on to some other important things. And we're going to dive into these here today. Before we get into those two main areas, I've already given you the title of today's message. Let me give you just some, some observations from the text. If you're studying 1 Thessalonians with us, if you're doing your own study, I would encourage you to do that. Let me just show you some things real quickly, and then we'll dive into those two main areas today. Did you know he got very practical? He talks about that verse number one is really loaded. Verse number one, he talks about growing in the Christian life. Notice he says there in verse number one that we should abound more and more. We're to be growing in our Christian life. And then in that same verse, verse number one, did you notice we're supposed to be progressing in our Christian life? He talks about how we ought to walk. How we ought to walk. The Christian life is compared to a walk. 
There's steady progress that is made. We're not going backwards, God willing. We're continuing on and progressing in our Christian walk. We're having steady progress. And then we notice in verse number 1 as well that there is the goal of the Christian life where it says that we are to please God. Please God. All of that's right there in verse number 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, you should abound more and more, and, and abound more and more. That's, that's that growing in the Christian life. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk, we're progressing in the Christian life, and then there's the goal of the Christian life, and to please God. And then he goes on to tell them how to please God. And it reminds us how we can please God. Notice verse number 2, it talks about keeping His commandments. And then in verse number 3, it talks about the will of God. And so if we're going to please God, we need to keep His commandments, verse number 2, and we need to walk in His will, verse number 3. This passage, just like the rest of the book, is so rich. This is just free. This is just like a, a pre-sermon, alright? You get this. This doesn't cost you anything. This is just some notes, some observations. Let me show you something else in the passage. It's so rich. We see all the members of the Trinity in those verses. Did you notice that? Jesus is mentioned in verses 1 and 2. God the Father is mentioned several times. And then the Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse number 8. All of the Trinity is involved in just these first eight verses. Really, this passage is all about focusing on holiness. And holiness in regards to two different areas. Both of them are mentioned in verse number 3. Did you notice that? Verse number 3 mentions the two things we're going to talk about. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then the second one, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So the two main things we're going to talk about today are sanctification and sexuality. So let's talk about, first of all, our sanctification. Our sanctification. Let's examine this. The word is used twice. Did you notice that? The word is used in verse number 3. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Then in verse number 4, it's mentioned again, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now here's the problem. That is not a word that we use very often. Unless you're reading this or you were discussing a Sunday school lesson, I doubt very many people in this room this past week, had extensive conversations using this idea of sanctification. Now, you may have and not realized it. You didn't use the word. What does it mean to sanctify? Or what does the whole idea of sanctification mean? Because it says it's the will of God. It's mentioned twice here. Well, to sanctify something is to set it apart for God. To be set apart for God's use. Sanctification and holiness, they go together. You need to know in the Christian life that when it comes to this whole idea of sanctification, it's really a pretty big topic. And maybe we need to talk about it more. And, and there's actually different senses in which we talk about sanctification. And again, it's not a word we use often probably in everyday conversation, but there are three senses or three phases, or however you want to say it, when it comes to sanctification. I like to call them the three P's of sanctification. The three P's of sanctification. You have, first of all, positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Now remember, sanctify something means it is set apart for God's use, set apart for God's, um, uh, uh, His desires. It's set apart. 
First is positional sanctification. This is the whole idea that we as believers, we are now in Christ. This deals with our identification with Christ. We're holy in Christ. Write this reference down, Hebrews 10.10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Christ we are sanctified. In Christ we are perfect. In Christ. That's positional sanctification. That's true of every believer. You are sanctified in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. So why do we have all this trouble? Well, we still live here. We still live in a broken, sin-cursed, fallen world and we live in broken bodies and we still battle sin. Which brings us to the second P of sanctification, which is progressive sanctification. Some would say practical sanctification. We can get too many P's in this pod here. We'll just say progressive sanctification. This is where we grow more and more like Jesus. This is where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Every believer has that. In fact, the Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We cooperate through obedience and repentance and growth in holiness. And when we talk about sanctification, this is what most people are talking about. They're not talking about our position in Christ, as wonderful and glorious as that is, and it's true, and we ought to talk about that more. And they're not even talking about the one we haven't mentioned yet. Most people talk about this one, our progress, our growth in Christ. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Never misquote that verse. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. We're to work out what God's worked in. So sanctification, you say, this is a big word. I haven't heard this word before. This is one I don't use. Let's just think about this. It means to be set apart for God's use. We're already sanctified in Jesus, positionally speaking. We belong to Him. He belongs to us. We're in Christ. But now as Christians, we're working out that salvation. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is working in us. And we're cooperating with Him. And we're growing. Remember verse 1? There's to be growth in our Christian life. There's to be progress in our Christian life. Now, wake up. Some of you are already drifting off. You're already, you're already off. Because there's a third P here. And it's perfect sanctification. Or we might call it complete sanctification, but that didn't fit the P's. When does this happen? Well, this happens practically speaking. Remember, positionally in Christ, we're already perfect, but we're still living in a broken world. Our bodies are broken. We still sin. But there's coming a day that we're going to be perfectly sanctified from a practical point of view when? When we see Jesus. Put these references down. We see it right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go to the next chapter, verse 23. Next chapter, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God. 
And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's coming a day we're going to be perfect, practically speaking. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That excites me. Glorified body, no sin, no struggle, none of that. But right now, we're living in the first two. Positionally, spiritually speaking in Christ, we're perfect in Christ, but practically speaking, here we are and we're still growing and none of us, none of us has made it yet. Well, how do we do that? Remember, it goes back to verses 2 and 3 by keeping His commands and doing His will. Really, sanctification is the big theme here. Sanctification and holiness go together And what Paul's going to do here in the next part of this passage, he's going to show how this works when it comes to a particular area of our life, and that's the area of our sexuality. Now, I know there was a day when this was not talked about much in church. I remember talking to a lady one time. She was in one of our sister churches. I'll not tell you what church it was. I'll not tell you who she was. But I remember she told me one time that her pastor was preaching and her pastor would not mention this, like, bluntly. When he would preach about this, he would just use the phrase, you know. He wouldn't mention sex. He wouldn't mention any of this. He would just preach and say, you know. And he'd go on a while and say, you know. Well, I'm not sure everybody knows. So we're going to look at what the Scripture says here because the Scripture is very clear here. The Bible brings it up. So if you get mad today, get mad at the Bible. Don't get mad at me. We're going to talk about it. In fact, we need to talk about it. You need to talk to your kids about it because somebody else is going to talk to them about it because our culture today oozes with sex. It's everywhere. Interesting, Tony Evans was right when he wrote sex as the American obsession. It is, in fact, the drug of choice. While the Puritans may have lived as though there were no such thing as sex, Americans live as though there's nothing else but sex. Hmm. Honestly, I think that some people think that the people in the Bible, they didn't deal with these sorts of things. Their world, their society was so pure and so wholesome and so clean. I mean, it was like Wonderland. It was like just, it was like Disneyland everywhere. Just everything was just so pristine and wonderful. But that's not reality. In fact, if you read your Bible and you start at Genesis chapter 1, you know, you don't get very far in the Scripture before you find sexual perversion is running rampant. And you find God's judgment falling upon it. And by the way, we're seeing the same today in our society. We're seeing the same today in our society. We're seeing the tearing down of marriage. We're seeing the tearing down of gender We're seeing the tearing down of identity. We're seeing the glorification of sex and every sort of perversion. I think the ultimate goal of some of these people, not all of them, there are some people there who would never think this, but I think there is an ultimate goal among some in these crowds of people who want to normalize and decriminalize pedophilia. I really believe that's where it's headed. They're coming for the children. They're aiming for the children. You say, well, what about these Thessalonians? What kind of culture were they in? What did they think about sex? Well, here's what one ancient writer expressed. 
Here's what he said. This was the general moral view of sex in the ancient Roman Empire. This is a quote. Here's what he said. We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. And we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. End quote. No big deal, right? And don't we see that more and more in our own society when it comes to this precious, holy area? We can understand the perversion in our day, can we not? I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to really think about it. If we are just evolved animals, if we're just some sort of ancient ooze that crawled up out of a pond and eventually sprouted some legs and turned into a toad who turned into who knows what and we just worked our way. We're just evolved animals. And if there are no true moral absolutes and furthermore, if there is no God and there's no binding truth, then why not exercise our wildest passions and our wildest pleasures because we don't have any purpose, we are nothing, we mean nothing, and we're going nowhere. That's really what a lot of people, their life, that's their worldview. This, this, you know, we got up, we worked our way to this point, we're going to die, we're going to cease to exist completely, we're just evolved animals, there's no truth, there's no really anything to build my life upon, everything's relative, then why not do whatever you want to do? Why not fight against the oppression of society and, and laws and morals if that's really who we are, but you and I know better because we've been blessed. And I want to remind you of that. Don't ever look down upon someone who hasn't had the advantage you and I have had of hearing the truth and knowing God and being taught the Bible. But there's a lot of people who are living their lives like that. And so when you look at them, you say, well, why not do all those things? Why not live in the ultimate, what we would consider perversion? Because really there's no right or wrong. If it feels good, do it. We see where the perversion can run rampant. I think one of the dangers, though, in the church today is that too many Christians are getting their beliefs about these matters like sexuality from the culture instead of the Bible. We can look around as Christians and see culture, we can begin to think, well, I would never do that. I'm not that bad. I, I would never be caught involved in that. And all of a sudden, we're feeling good about ourselves, and yet we forget the fact that we are not called to live a little better than a lost person who doesn't know God. We're called to live like Jesus. We're called to live in holiness. And sanctification. We've got to remember something else when you think about this. We should not expect lost people who do not know God and are far from God to live like saved people. Now sometimes we look at this and say, well, how in the world could someone do that? Well, they're lost. They're dead in their sin. And by the way, we were there too at one point. And by the way, we're capable of doing what they're doing it's by the grace of God that He saved us from those things and put us on a right and righteous path. So you see, we've got to have the right heart about these things. 
We should have a heart of gratitude. God, thank you for showing me these things. Thank you for teaching me these things. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for showing me what is best. Show me your commands and your will for these things. But also have a heart of love and compassion for those who may be in a crowd, LGBTQ+, all of the groups that are out there now, to have compassion upon them and realize some of those folks have never heard the Gospel. Some of those folks have never been exposed to the truth. They don't know God. They don't worship Him as God. They don't understand these things. And God has left us here to be a witness and to testify to His Gospel and to share the truth with those folks in love. But we're called as believers to holiness. In fact, in verse 3, so when we look around, we say, well, I'm not as bad as that. I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as him. I would never do that, but that is not the right standard. Look at verse number 3 for the standard. For this is the will of God. By the way, everybody wants to know what the will of God is. And a lot of times when we think about the will of God, we think about it in regards to our life. What does God want me to do for a job? Who does God want me to have for a wife or a husband? Um, should I buy the house? Should I buy this car? Should we send the child to this school? All those things are fine and good, but the problem is sometimes we forget the revealed will of God, what God's already said. And we're not doing what He's already said. We're praying, oh God, show me, show me. And God says, listen, there's a lot I've already shown you. You're not doing that. Look at verse 3. So you want to know what God's will is? Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, how does that work? that you should, notice the next word, abstain from sexual immorality. That is, don't do it. Now, this is a broad statement. That phrase, sexual immorality there. The Greek, that phrase is a broad word. It refers to any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant. In fact, how broad is this? Richard Mayhew said this. This is one of the most socially relevant passages in the Scripture. It touches on homosexuality, pornography, transsexuality, bestiality, incest, adultery, premarital and extramarital sex, sexually transmitted diseases, abortion, trial relationships, and casual sex, just to mention a few expressions or ramifications of that phrase, sexual immorality. Really, we can say this covers anything outside the boundaries of covenant marriage. But I've got to stop because I've got to define that too. Because now we have to define our terms. What is marriage? Well, again, we have to get our definition of marriage from the Bible. And marriage is what? A biological male and a biological female who are legally married, who come together in a, a legal way. And as Christians, we come together, of course, in a covenant way before God. And so what he's saying here in verse number 3, that God's will for us as believers, all of us, is to abstain from anything, sexually speaking, outside the covenant bonds of holy matrimony. Anything outside of that bond is sin. Now let me just tell you, that is not politically correct. That would get me shouted down, possibly attacked, possibly shot, if said in some places to some people. And yet we have held that dear as Christians, and yet we're living in a culture now that does not value that. 
I told you way back when they were talking about changing the definition of marriage and we were looking at that a marriage amendment, that if marriage means anything but what we understand it to mean, it really means nothing in our society because anything goes. I've seen some poor creatures who are marrying, I think I saw a lady, she married a plane, an airplane. I've seen a, a lady, she married herself. I'm not speaking personally, I don't know these, but I've seen articles. She married herself. Romans 1 is where we're living. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Worshipping the creation instead of the creator. God says that my will for you, sexually speaking, is I don't want you to do anything, sexually speaking, outside the bonds of holy matrimony. Everything else is out of bounds. Everything else is sin. Listen, don't let the world sell you its bill of lies. God is not against sex. God created sex. Sex is good. God gave it to us, really, we could talk about three different reasons. When I do pre-marriage counseling, we talk about these things. He gave it to us, of course, for procreation. Without it, we would not be here. He also gave it to us for protection. The Bible talks about that. Our protection as we exercise that gift within the bounds of holy matrimony so we don't burn in our lust toward others. And then He also gave it to us for pleasure. And so those areas. And when you think about the standard then, God says, listen, my will for you is not to do anything sexually speaking outside the bounds of holy matrimony. You say, well, that's a pretty high standard. Yes, it is, because it's a holy standard. It's God's perfect plan. And God gave these things as a gift to those who are married. He wants that to be enjoyed within the bounds of holy matrimony. Remember this, when God gives a command, He's doing it for our good. He's really saying, listen, watch out for this. Don't harm yourself. In other words, if you'll, you'll obey me in this, you can help yourself to happiness. So we look at the commandments. You think, oh, well, God is just a spoiled sport. He, he doesn't want us to have any fun. No, He wants you to have great pleasure and joy in life. And He has a perfect plan for these things. Now, in verse 5, we're called as believers. Did you notice this? To possess our vessel... Rather, I should say verse 4. In verse 4, we're told to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, our vessel would be our body. We're to use our body in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. And not only are we commanded here in Scripture to obey Him in this, God gives us five further reasons why we should live in a way that honors God when it comes to our sexuality. They're right here in the passage. I'm going to walk you through these five then I'm going to give you three more thoughts and we're going to go home, okay? Some of you are ready to go home now. Some of you are uncomfortable now. But listen, I'm just preaching you the Bible. Just preaching the Bible. Five further reasons we should live in a way that honors God with our sexuality. They're right here in the passage. Number one, we should do this because we know God. Look at verse number five. It says, Not in lustful passion 
like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. That's the NLT. The Gentiles are mentioned there. But that's the idea. The pagans. Not in the lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. We expect lost people to live like lost people, but Christians should live like Christians. We belong to God. If we belong to God, we're not our own. The Bible says we've been bought with a price. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus. And so we're not to live like pagan people. We're not to burn in our lust. Lost people primarily know lust. Most of what is passed off today in our culture for love is actually unbridled lust. It's selfish lust seeking to fulfill uh, a sexual pleasure that someone has. So because we know God, we should live this way. Secondly, because we don't want to defraud our brother. Look at verse 6, the beginning. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. When we have sex with someone who is not our mate, listen, we hurt them, we hurt ourselves, and we hurt others. We defraud people. In adultery, if we commit adultery, we rob from their mate. We take also from that person that which does not belong to us. Even if they're not married, we rob their future mate. So I want to encourage you that are young and you're out dating. Be careful. You think, oh, I love them. They're going to be my husband. They're going to be my wife. But they might be, but they may not be. You're out with somebody else's future husband or wife, possibly. Respect them. Don't defraud them. Thirdly, this is pretty serious. Because God avenges sexual sin. Look at verse 6 again. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Now watch the next part. This is almost scary. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful statement that speaks for itself. I don't want the Lord to come against me to avenge someone that I've defrauded and I've done wrong. I'm going to let that speak for itself. I won't even elaborate on that. Number four, because we have a higher calling. Look at verse seven. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. You have to recognize that God wants the very best for you and for me. He's not seeking to prevent us from pleasure. He's not seeking to prevent us from a good time. These boundaries are given not to harm us, but to help us. He gives them to us because He loves us. Just as uh, parents here, you have boundaries for your children. You know, Don't go play in the street. Stay out of the road. You don't say that because you don't want them to play. You say that because you don't want them to get run over and harmed and hurt. And God, our Heavenly Father, says, listen, I'm calling you to a higher calling. I love you. I have wonderful plans for you. I have a perfect plan for you when it comes to this area in your life. Obey me. Follow my path. And you'll have true joy in your life. And then fifthly, because rejecting God's rule here is actually rejecting God Himself. Look at verse number 8. It says, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, 
who has also given us his Holy Spirit. When we choose to sin, this is true whether we are engaging in sexual immorality or some other sin, what we're really saying to God, and if we're a Christian, I'm talking to Christians, when we choose to sin, and by the way, sin is a choice, we don't have to sin anymore. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. One day, praise the Lord, we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. But right now, remember, we're in progressive sanctification. We're still growing. We're still growing. We're still bounding. We're still walking. When we choose to sin, and we do, what we're really saying, we would never say these words out loud, what we're really saying is, God, I don't care what you think. I don't care what your word says. I want what I want. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's really what we're saying to God as Christians when we sin. I'm going to have it my way. And when we have it our way, we're free to choose to sin, but we're not free to choose the consequences of our sin. And sin has consequences. And God does forgive us our sin. Praise be to His name. 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse from all unrighteousness. But God does not always remove the consequences of our sin. I can choose today to go down and rob the fast shop. They'd be as shocked as you are if I walked in there and did that. I'd get arrested. I'd go to jail. I could ask for their forgiveness. I could ask for your forgiveness. I could ask for God's forgiveness. And guess what? I know at least one will forgive me. God will. You may not. The fast shop may not. No one else may, but God will. But it will not remove the consequences that I'll have to follow through because of my actions. Now I've got a criminal record. Now I've got to go to court. Now I've got to get a lawyer. Now I've got to do all these things. And then there's a whole, then you're going to say, we don't want a thief as a preacher. And so you're going to let me go. See, all the things, it's a domino effect. When God says don't, it's because he loves us. That's why you tell your child, don't steal anything. Don't take that which is not your own. Why? Because you love them. Here God is saying, listen, I love you. Save the gift of, of sex for the marriage. Unwrap it there with no reservation, no guilt, no regret. Joy in the gift that God has given. Now we move from five reasons and I want to give you three practical steps, okay? Based upon what we studied today. Three practical tips. Number one, when it comes to sexuality, boundaries are needed. You have to set some things in your life as boundaries to protect yourself. The Bible talks about this. Remember it says at one point to make no provision for the flesh. You have to have some boundaries. Some personal boundaries. It may be that there's certain things you will not do when you're with a member of an opposite sex. It may be there's some places you will not go. There may be some things that you will not visit on the Internet. There may be some ways that you bring in whatever. One of my personal boundaries, and you don't have to adopt this, but this is one of mine. When I travel alone, 
when I'm in a hotel, and you may think this is weird, um, I don't turn on the television. I don't watch TV. If I'm alone in my hotel room, I don't watch TV. Because it's too easy to cruise by or stumble upon that, which would cause me to stumble and sin in these areas. That's just an example. For you, I don't know what that personal boundary may be. You can go back and read about Billy Graham and his team. They had some rules in place. Billy Graham would never, ever go anywhere with a woman that wasn't Ruth by himself. Never. Never would. That was just, they call it the Billy Graham rule. I mean, there's some things, some boundaries. What are some things? Maybe you've stumbled in the past. Maybe you have some areas. You need to establish some. Maybe you're moving out from your phone. Uh, maybe, Maybe you need to remove a computer from your bedroom. I don't know what it might be but some personal boundaries. Some steps that you will not cross. Some boundaries are needed. I'm not going to give you specifics. You have to work this out on your own. Secondly, help is needed. We can't do this alone. We don't have to do it alone. You know why? Look at verse number 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us what? His Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit leads us into righteousness and the Holy Spirit convicts us and sometimes the Holy Spirit will, in in our God-given conscience as well, will get ready to do something and and all of a sudden there's that warning. Stop. Don't do that. Remember, David got in terrible trouble over this very matter. It destroyed his life. It destroyed his family. It destroyed his legacy in some regards. When we think about David, we don't think about him long before we think about who? Bathsheba. David's problem, and we don't know why he was there, we don't know why he didn't go out with the kings and whatnot, but when he took that second look, he saw the first look, he should have ran back in the house. The Bible says to flee sexual immorality, flee sexual sin, to run away from it. That's what Joseph did in Genesis. He left his coat and fled and left Potiphar's wife. But David took a second look and he failed. He had people warning, remember? He says, go get her. Remember his own servants. Is this not, you know, mentioned her husband, is this not his wife? I don't care. Help is available. The Holy Spirit, our God-given conscience, and then each other. We can help others hold us accountable. Some people have accountability partners who ask hard questions. And maybe that's something you need to look into. And then third, and finally, for some, a new start is needed. Don't buy the lie, and here's where a lot of people live, don't buy the lie that because you've messed up in this area that you have to keep messing up. Well, I've already failed. Well, stop. I've already gone this far. Well, stop. There's a new start available. Repent. Confess. Ask the Lord to give you a new beginning in that, to strengthen you. Find an accountability partner. Find some help. Set some boundaries. Don't believe for a moment that just because you failed in this area, you have to keep on failing. I love what Ray Pritchard said. He said, years ago I ran across this statement. The key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. Listen, the key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. That's exactly right. Some of us need to face our past and say the truth. It is what it is. Remember the first law of spiritual progress. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must go forward. You can't go back to change the past 
And you can't stay where you are because life is a river that flows ever onward. But by God's grace, you can decide to serve Jesus Christ from this day forward. A new beginning is yours in Christ. You say, well, I've been sexually active with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I, I failed in this. I'm in pornography. I'm whatever. You don't have to keep living that way. A new beginning is yours in Christ. And health is available. Beloved, I know this has been heavy. You say, oh, I, I like last week, Psalm 117. That was, that was really a blessing, preacher. And this week's sanctification and sex, I, I can't believe, I can't even say it. Let's not kid ourselves, beloved. We live in a sin-cursed, wicked, fallen, perverted world. But we've been called to a higher calling, a calling of holiness. May God help us to live it out in our own lives and in our church. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank You for this strong word from Your Word. Search our hearts now. Is there any hint, Lord, of sexual morality in our life? Things we're looking at, things we're doing, places we're visiting, people we're talking to, activities we're involved in, television and movies we're watching, Lord, that are just bringing this into our lives and displeasing You. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Purify us. We repent. We confess. We ask Your help. Father, we don't need to tell You, but we live in a society that's saturated with this. It's screamed at us. It's everywhere. We can't even drive down the highway at times without being attacked with this. Help us, Lord, to choose holiness. To choose obedience. Help us to keep our eyes stayed upon You. Help us to follow Your path for our lives. I pray if someone's here and they're struggling in this area that You would speak to their heart. You would deliver them. You would help them to set boundaries and get the help that they need to live a life of victory and purity. Lord, help us to shine bright for those that are awash in this, those that don't know You. Help us to be people of compassion and love. And help us to share the truth with them in love. Thank You for your, for your love. Thank You for just talking to us today about some very sensitive things and giving us Your Word and Your heart about these things. May we obey. May we walk in victory now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our closing hymn, 465, Only Trust Him. And the good news is you've got a lot to talk about over lunch. Let's stand together. 465. Only trust him. Come every soul by stand.